Hey, thank you for having me uh, to and let me talk to you for a while. Uh, I don't know if you've read this passage already, but um, a bit of it, well, it repeats quite often, do not worry. And a bit of me was thinking it can be really annoying, can't it? If you're struggling with worry and people keep telling you, just stop worrying, just don't worry. And you'll sort of punch them in the face. Um, so, and the Christian talks about worry are probably even worse in that you sort of come in feeling worried and you go away feeling worried and guilty because you're worried. Um, but anyway, we will, bear with me and let's read this passage first. So we're starting in Matthew 6 and verse 19. And uh, I'm going to get you to, to talk a couple of times in, in little groups. So if you have the text in front of you, that'll be good. Um, so Matthew 6, 19. I think this is right. Do not lay up. Is that where I'm supposed to be? Do not lay up for yourself treasures. Is that right? Yeah. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of his life? And why are you anxious about clothing? <laughs> Looking at me, you may know the answer to that. Um, consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, Will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. <laughs> These are fantastic uh, bits of scripture, aren't they? So, um, and some of that you'll be really familiar with. Um, and you may have followed this whole chapter, and I hope, I hope you will sort of keep a grip on the whole of chapter six, because it occurs to me there are an, there are an awful lot of don't don't do this and don't do that. And some people um, say that about the Bible, don't they? Oh, it's just this long list of things we shouldn't be doing. 
Um, and I added them up. There are actually seven in this chapter. There are seven, don't do this, stop doing that. But this kind of a don't isn't a finger in your face kind of don't. It is actually an outworking of the most important thing that this chapter is telling us. And that is a profound truth. So that, that command to stop doing things, don't do this, do that, is actually just an outworking of the most profound thing that this chapter has to tell us. And fortunately, because I love a number, this thing comes up 12 times in the chapter. If there are seven don'ts, there are 12 of these things. And this thing is, is this, you have a heavenly father. You have a heavenly father. And I can promise you that if you can grasp that truth, you will be changed. Your life will be changed. The way you see everything will be different. You have a heavenly father. So that the don'ts and the stops in this chapter are actually just an invitation into a new way of knowing who you are and measuring your value, measuring God's love for you. Because you have a father who you can trust. You have a father who honors you and values you and knows you. He knows what you need. And he is the one who gets to speak over you who you are. He is the one who gets to tell you what achievement and success look like if you were listening to Owen's talk on Sunday. You have a heavenly father. And suddenly, when that begins to be our experienced truth, it changes our perspective on the things that tell us whether we're successful or not, the things that tell us whether we're significant or not. And the ways the world tell us those things suddenly become incidental to you. And one of the brilliant things about that is you can then be incredibly successful in the eyes of the world. Or you can be someone, you know, who, who slips through life um, and, and, you know, nobody's raising you up onto some massive public platform. You're not actually a millionaire. But in some sense, those things become incidental because you have a heavenly father. And you know who you are in him. And you are more captivated by him and by what he might be thinking and saying and doing than anything the world could ever speak over you. And you know, there's one big problem with this. So if you don't remember anything else I've said tonight, remember you have a heavenly father and spend this week letting that truth sink in as an experienced reality, an experienced revelation for you. Because one of the th first thing that sort of kicks, kicks us in the teeth slightly uh, when we try to push into that truth is for some of us, for most of us, our, our earthly dads are not perfect. And my dad was quite funny, he was a gentleman. But for most of us, the way our earthly fathers present to us leaves a bit of a dent, to be honest, in our concept of father. 
and in the concept of how we might relate to our Heavenly Father. My dad, this is going to sound terrible, and I'm sorry about this because he's dead. So it's a bit bad to dish, dish your dad, isn't it, when, uh, when he's gone. But um, he was a lovely man, um, but he wasn't very good at speaking out what he thought about us. And my mum and dad, your mum and dad's probably completely different. My mum and dad thought it was very bad to ever tell us how very brilliant we were because they thought we would be arrogant and a pain in the butt. You know, we would think we, would, we were greater than we were. So they, even if we did something brilliant, you know, they, they would just say, you know, that's good. Well, you know, not bad, not bad. You know, carry on sort of thing. And one day when I was a teenager, it was my birthday, and my dad, who did not write, you know, he wasn't a sort of emotionally intelligent person, um, uh, yeah. And so in this card, in this card, he had written to me, I just want you to know that I'm really proud of you. And I was like blown away. I treasured the, well, on that day, you know, I, I received that card. I put it in my room. I was so, you know, my little heart swelling. A few hours later, he came back in and he said, would you mind? I'm going to have to ask for that card back because I haven't said that to any of, the, of your siblings and now I'm feeling a bit awkward that I've put it in that card. So he took the card back off me. And, you know, hey, whatever. You know, I'm tough. I, I didn't let it get to me. But we all know... Sorry if that makes my dad sound the most terrible person in the world. But there are things, aren't there, that leave a bit of a dent in your, in your concept of what a heavenly father might look like. And so um, this is why... It is, it is the overarching message, I think, of this chapter. And this is why we need a revelation, an experienced revelation of what it means to have a heavenly father who is both powerful and almighty and yet tender and knowing what we need. He says he knows what you need before you even pray. He knows what you need before you even ask him. So, as I say, that might be something to pray into in a minute. Um, and it's worth remembering that when these Gospels were written, if you're studying theology here, you'll probably know this, um, but there aren't lots of verses and chapters and headings and paragraphs in the original way the Gospels were written. So there aren't lots of full stops and commas, there aren't any highlights, there aren't any underlinings. So it's much more difficult to catch the meaning of the scriptures as you read them. But one thing that will tend to tell you something, it gives you a clue as to the meaning, is the repeats. So when you get these repeats of things like Heavenly Father across a chapter, you need to kind of take notice and wonder whether that is a key to the whole of the chapter. And I think in this case that would be true and then you get in this chapter we read just now from 25 to 35 you get six times a repetition of this word worry or anxiety and this becomes one of the stop doings um, of the chapter but it is always countered by a start doing so when he says stop doing this stop doing this he also says start doing this. And to be honest, my belief is that as you dig into what you, what you need to start doing, the stop doing tends to kind of, it's like a balloon that just deflates in your life. So you push into what you need to start doing and the stop doing somehow loses its power. And I think if we were going to pick out one thing that we need to start doing, uh, I wonder if you can guess what it would be. I think it sums, sums up this chapter. 
it, I think it's verse 33. And it says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. So that, in the end, is the antidote to worry. It's not trying harder to stop worrying. It's seeking after the kingdom of God and getting to know and live out of the truth that you are loved by a heavenly father. So let's focus in on a couple of bits in this reading. I think um, verse 19 is a crucial one, isn't it? It talks about these treasures um, on earth. And, we, and most of us probably heard of this before. Lay up treasures for yourself on earth. I mean, what do I mean? Don't, I mean, that's a don't, that's a stop. Stop laying up treasures for yourself on earth where they will be snatched away. And do you know what, funnily enough, I had our annual, this man comes around once a year. He probably thinks we're a complete joke, to be honest. But he comes around once a year to tell us about our pension, which we've been paying into for about a million years. Um, but today, this morning, he came around, which was why I was thinking, hmm, I think God might be speaking to me. And uh, he informed us, he was very jolly and lovely. And then I looked down at the graph of our pension, and it was going like, heading into the dust. And I said to him, so have I read this right? <laughs> and he was like, yeah, yeah, you know, sadly you know you've lost you've lost 10% of your pension in the last year <laughs> it was like great thanks thanks for that you know we're, we're paying him apparently to do that but anyway um it's all of us need to know what this means in our lives don't we do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth although I'm not saying you shouldn't put money away for pension um but do lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven um for where this is really interesting for where your treasure is there your heart will be also where your treasure is there your heart will be also and if you're like me do you ever swap round words i've got a terrible habit of um if someone's called ian martin i always call them martin ian i, I can't help it but with something this, I find this verse very interesting because it says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Don't you think you might have thought it would be the other way around? Oh, where your heart is, that's where you'll put your treasure. It's very interesting, isn't it? Where your treasure is, your heart will follow. Really interesting. So what I want you to do in groups, if that's okay, is just have a chat because I want this to hit the ground in our lives. And my question to you would be, can you come up with, in your group, one thing that you can then feed back to us? This might turn into chaos, but let's hope not. Um, that, that you think um, one thing um, in terms of doing something different, that it might look like, one thing it might look like to stop laying up treasures on earth, and one thing it might look like to start laying up treasures in heaven. So just take a few minutes to wonder what that actually means. What, what would be a practical thing uh, that that might look like in your lives? One of each. One, how are you going to stop? What would be one thing? Stop laying up treasures on earth and start laying up treasures in heaven. Okay, so can I give you a few minutes? Turn towards each other. Make sure everyone's in a group if they would like to be. I'll call you back in a couple of minutes. Okay, thank you so much. Um, would anyone care to share, as in, I'm not sure we can go around everybody, but if you think you came up with a good one, uh, either for the what you need to stop doing or what you could start doing, it doesn't have to be the bearing.
of your own soul particularly um, but it might help us in the room to kind of get a handle on what we're talking about so anyone willing to shout something out should we do the stop ones first how, how what did you come up with anything that would help us stop laying up treasures on earth um, I was saying that you can stop uh, valuing like the objects that you have and instead like remember when you got them and who you got them with and then even if you get rid of the object it's because I cleared out my room recently so I had to get rid of loads of objects <laughs> yeah. uh, today I went to the charity shop but I remembered as I was getting rid of them actually like where I got them from who maybe got them for me or yeah. I didn't get rid of them Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 I remember that because I was looking through all the stuff and actually I probably wouldn't have revisited those memories if I just kept them somewhere in a room. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas by going through and like the process of getting rid of stuff, each mm -hmm. object you actually kind of think about and you give it time and then mm -hmm. you move on. Mm -hmm. Great, thank you. Yeah. Great. Any others? Um, I was saying that I'm quite guilty at the moment for putting too much value into like my not too like the grades I'm gonna get and the mm. work that I'm doing mm. and actually to do that like last week I didn't come to Essence because I was like I've got this deadline whereas if I'd have come to Essence and maybe taken the time out to pray about it and recollect my thoughts then actually maybe the work would have gone better. <laughs> okay yeah Ooh, well said yep. anything else? We'll see. Well, I guess I guess that will look different for all of us, won't it? Um, I guess I guess just quickly to say um, this. I guess this doesn't mean, and and this would take a long time to to draw from the scriptures. But I am convinced we can draw it from the scriptures. Um, that it doesn't mean, you know, God is asking every one of you to give everything that you own away right now. I don't think it means that you know saving money is now a wrong thing to do. Um, and I don't think it means that it's wrong to have anything over and above the essentials. Strangely enough, I think from those other scriptures we know that you become content whether you are given a massive amount to steward in this life or whether you have uh, very little. And sometimes our lives are like that, aren't they, in terms of what we have. But somehow the power of these things uh, has been broken in our lives. And therefore, we can really enjoy beautiful and amazing things, gifts, you know, that we're able to have. And equally, we can be contented when all of that is suddenly gone. Um, and I think what it... Yes, I mean, it is true as well through the scriptures that we see people who are wealthy and who minister to Jesus um, and enable him to do what he does uh, be because of their attitude to, to their wealth and the way they hold it lightly. So I guess um, it's possible, isn't it? That this doesn't mean that you won't be asked to steward wealth in your life at different points in your life. Um, yeah. So what it, what it does mean, I think, is that you no longer need to try to impress people with your stuff and with your money, with your earnings. That is like something broken off you. You, are, you no longer need to be driven to accumulate stuff so that you will matter on this planet. And you don't need to base decisions although it might have an impact on your decision, you don't need to simply take a job because it will pay you more 
So those sorts of things are broken if we lean into what Jesus is saying here. And God, interestingly, Jesus goes further. He's done fasting, he's done giving, he's done praying. But when it comes to money, he has a bit more to say. Because he, re- he says, you cannot serve both God and money. So there's something particular, isn't there, about um, what money can do to a person. And you may have observed this in your family. You may have already felt the grip of money on your own heart. But money is powerful. And the God of money will ask you for your allegiance. It will ask you for your loyalty, for your trust. But money, out of place, will render you a slave. That's what this passage says. You will be enslaved to money if you let it take the place of God in your life. And the thing running through this passage is that there's only one place at the top. There's only one one place where you can put God in your life. And what he's really saying is if you do that, everything, you know, other things will fall into place if you lean into God. But if, if you put money at the top, you begin to be enslaved to it. And God is certainly pushed out of his rightful place in your life. And that strange passage about the eye, I don't know if you picked up on that. Hardly anyone knows what that is really saying. But (laughs) that word for eye, when it says um, a sound eye or a healthy eye, is actually a single eye, an undivided eye. And so again and again in this chapter, you do get this idea that God needs to be, have your undivided eye. And that the things you, you, know, you, you let into your life are, are coming through to, to within because you are giving God your undivided eye. So where are you with money? What are, because there probably are a few, the lies that you've been fed around money? If God is your master, Money will serve his kingdom. But if money gets a hold on you, God will be pushed, pushed out. So that's a good question to ask, isn't it? And I think it was only when I got married that I realized my family had some odd ideas about things like money. I didn't realize until I sort of ran into someone else's family. I was like, oh, I thought, I thought what my family do is perfectly normal. <laughs> Turned out it's not at all true. Um, so anyway, there's different moments, aren't there? Maybe at uni you begin to, you know, look across at other people's attitudes towards money and stuff, and you think, oh, I don't know. What what comes up about what you treasure when you look at your phone app and where your money's going each month? What does that tell you about where you're storing up your treasure? So briefly, golly, this is such a massive passage, but I'll just say briefly something about worry. Um, The trouble is, for those of us who do worry, even if we're not worrying, we worry that we've forgotten something we're supposed to be worrying about, don't we? So it's, it's, um, it's a vicious circle with money. And most of us know, as this passage says, that it's just such a silly thing to do, isn't it? When we can't even add, it says, a little cubit, you know, to our lifespan by worrying. And you sort of think, I know that. But it's very hard sometimes to just sort of stop worrying. And it's, I was thinking about this passage and thinking, on the one hand, apparently these, these statistics are around about saying one in six adults in the UK are now suffering with anxiety or depression or um, a mental health issue around anxiety. And, and, it, and, 
and we are in. I don't know if you know this, but you, you are all the rich. You know, we are the wealthy, aren't we, globally? We are the wealthy. And wealth and worry have this really weird connection. I think it was one of the Beatles that said something about, for every, every hundred pounds I earn, I get a hundred pounds worth of worry. <laughs> And you hear it again and again. I don't know if we really believe that, do we? Um, but we hear it again and again that, that wealth sometimes brings, it's a, it's a sort of invitation to worry if you don't resist and manage it um, within the kingdom of God. Um, but, but in our culture, there's a weight on us, isn't there? Just of the choices that we have to make. There's a weight on us in terms of the distractions in our minds that we're trying to deal with and just the sheer complexities of our lives, which I think probably isn't what this passage is addressing. When you think about the context in which these disciples were getting sent out in Matthew's gospel, when we talk about clothing and what they might eat, I think they're actually wondering whether they might have enough to eat and to enough clothes, enough, you know, even one outfit to, um, because they're being sent out with pretty much nothing, aren't they? Sent out depending on other people's hospitality. So they're leaving behind jobs. I mean, can you imagine Jesus saying, hey, don't worry? (laughs) Like, what? But that's quite different maybe from some of our our context. But I do believe thinking about it that, that they were facing massive uncertainty. So when Jesus said to them, don't worry, don't worry. You have a heavenly father who knows what you need. Although their lives were much simpler in many ways than ours, it popped up into my mind that the uncertainty was was just as great for them. And one of the things we're facing in all kinds of ways now in our culture, isn't it, is is more uncertainty probably than, than we have faced for a long time. So, so Jesus is saying, stop worrying because you're starting to seek my kingdom first. So one more, very quick, one minute between your same groups to say, what do you think it would actually look like for you to start seeking God's kingdom and his righteousness first? What would be an example of something you might start doing that would enact seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness? Okay, because you don't want it to be all like, oh yes, we all need to seek God's kingdom first. What would it actually look like for you tomorrow? Okay, anyone got any practical suggestions or something that it might look like for us to seek first the kingdom of God? Stop worrying and seek first the kingdom of God. What would that be? What would that look like? Anyone got something? Is that a tricky question? Seek first the kingdom. Yeah. Um, we're talking about giving those worries and giving those challenges and things to God first yeah. before moaning to everyone in your life. <laughs> or, when, or when people come to you. Sorry, don't mind me. No worries. That is very worrying. Um, yes, that's good. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely. And another thing that I find I have to make a choice about is whether I feed other people's worries. Like when they come to me, I'm like, yes, you know, or or, or yeah, can I do something else? <laughs> yeah, anything else? Yeah. Um, it's like carving out that time to yeah. give back to the Lord. Yeah. So it's like even like if it's before the day, like giving it to the Lord and like carving yeah. out that time to pray or yeah. to seek Him. Yeah. 
Absolutely. Yeah, brilliant, Libby, thank you. Um, yeah, and I mean, we haven't touched on, so I, I would say two things. This is, this is uh, we're going to pray now. But um, that's, that's right, isn't it? When it says, seek God's kingdom first, it, when you read some of this stuff about this passage, it says a lot about priorities. Oh, we should get our priorities right. And I know what they're saying, but it sort of gives me that feeling that you've got a list with loads of things on it. And as long as you've done your Bible reading first, then you can get on with the next thing and the next thing. But the thing about putting the kingdom first is that, you, you, you offer up your little offering, exactly as you said, uh, but then that seeps through absolutely all the others. It's not just like, oh good, I've done that, you know, done my God bit. It is, it is putting the kingdom first. It's more like God being right at the center and in everything else. So, um, so that's what I think we're coming towards. And I would just say, because Lent is next Tuesday, pancake day, yeah, but as you start Lent, I would give you a challenge. I would, how about, how would it be to give away something every day in Lent? Oh, wow. Whoa. Yes. Big one. That would be interesting. <laughs> An actual thing. <laughs> An actual thing, <laughs> yes. No, I'd like a good thought. A good thought. No, no, that doesn't count. No. every day in Lent because did you notice if it says where your treasure is there your heart will be also what it means is that you can't wait around going oh I don't I'm not getting it you know I'm not feeling it <laughs> you've got to actually just do something do something and the feelings will follow so hey Lent perfect time what could you do even if it was small and what I would say is as you know not that I go to the gym but I'm sure many of you do you have to start small don't you you know, you can't pick up that three kilo weight. I don't think I can pick up one kilo weight. But you know, start small, do something you can do rather than get overwhelmed. So yeah, have a think about that. Is there one generous thing you could do? And I suppose, no, I don't think you could email thinking about it. I think you should, I was gonna say you could send someone a nice email. No, let's break the power of stuff and money in our lives. It'd be really interesting, maybe not every day, once a week in Lent. How about that? <laughs> Is that better? <laughs> yeah, I think that'd be a good challenge and I would love to hear from you if you get anywhere with that. So, we're gonna pray. Let's stand for a minute to pray. And Toby, have you got that thing I put up there, which is the last bit? This is really good. I'm giving you this one for free tonight. This is in your life with Jesus. I would encourage you to follow this little thing vision, decision, and mechanism. Isn't that cool? I love that. I couldn't think of a third one, and I said to John, what could this be? He said mechanism. Excellent. What it means is that with anything like this, when you want to see a change in your life, when what Jesus is saying to you is stop doing this thing and start doing something different, it actually involves you collaborating and cooperating to do something. So the first thing is to get the vision of what you're being invited into, which in this case is that you have a heavenly father. So spend some time letting God increase that vision in you, the depth of that knowledge in your spirit and in your heart that you have a heavenly father. Then you make a decision and this is making a moment when you say, God, I choose you. I choose to seek your kingdom first. I need some help with this, but I choose this 
and I choose to break the power of, of greed in my life. I choose to do a little act of generosity once a week during Lent, whatever that is. So there's decision. And then there's a mechanism. So you're going to need a little pattern in your life. As you make that decision, something happens. And if you do that before God, you kind of close down any doors you've opened to enemy stuff and just greed or selfishness, the stuff that drives that other stuff. Insignificance, you might feel you have to earn, you have to have stuff so that people will think you're a somebody and not a nobody. There's all that stuff that Jesus wants to break off you. And as you make that decision, as you choose him, then all you need to do after that is a mechanism. You need to have a little habit that you just push into, something you can do so that God will work in you what you can't do for yourself. So that's really useful, I think. And let's, we're just going to say a couple of prayers and then I'm going to get these guys if they want to, um, if you want some individual prayer. One thing I've wondered whether a couple of people might want prayer for is just around your fathers, if, if, that, if that's just been something where you get stuck because you really can't seem to get beyond some of the ways your dad has let you down. So that might be a thing. But let me, let me pray a couple of prayers. And if um, you pray them with me, just pray your own prayer in your own heart. And I'll just give you a little example of what I mean by this vision decision mechanism thing. So Heavenly Father, I am praying tonight that you will reveal again to me that I have a Heavenly Father, that I am loved. That I'm chosen, that I am wanted, <laughs> that I'm significant, that I'm secure. God, give me a vision of the kingdom of heaven that you want me to seek after. Give me a vision of living free in your kingdom and of living as an agent of that kingdom on this planet. Give me a vision of you as my father. God, thank you for the ways that you forgive me where I haven't grasped the truth where I've fed myself with lies about who you are, where I haven't laid up my treasure in heaven, where I've tried to find my significance through other stuff and through money. God, I am choosing to serve you and to serve you alone, to seek you first and to live with an undivided heart. Break the power of greed and selfishness in me. I choose to say no even today to the lure of worldly treasure. I pray God and I choose to steward what you give me generously. trust you that you know what I need so I receive the power of your spirit now 
God, where that needs some boldness, when that needs power to live counterculturally. I say, more, God, more. Send your spirit on me. Send power to live differently, to put you first, to trust you for what I can't see, what I don't yet have, what I think I need. And God, as we come into this season of Lent, I want to pray for one thing, one thing that I can do differently. One thing that will break an old habit or a false belief and will nurture and feed new ones. I say, God, everything you I have is yours. Everything I have belongs to you now and in the future. God, in little and in plenty, I'm choosing to trust you. for you all as we invite the spirit now. I would pray God would release a spirit of generosity in this place that will release you to live free and lightly in relation to what you have. So a spirit of generosity fall in this place. 